Welcome to the RCSLT podcast. My name is Jacques Strauss and I am en route to Sandwell General Hospital for our inaugural episode. So we've been thinking about launching a podcast for a while now and We'd love to hear from members or anyone else that has an interest in speech and language therapy, uh, whether you think a regular podcast would be helpful, and if so, what topics you would like to cover. It can be clinical topics or, or things like running a private practice or securing funding in the NHS. Let us know what you want to hear more about, and we will endeavor to find the people who have the answers. You can send an email to podcast at rcslt.org. So, Our first episode is about leadership and influencing, and as you may know, we've recently launched two new learning journeys. One is about leadership, and the other one is about influencing. And at the college, we think that these are are key skills, irrespective of of where you are in your career. And um, I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, go and have a look at them. Um, They're on the CPD site, that's cpd.rcslt.org. And again, if you have any feedback or thoughts, please do let us know. Today we are talking to one of the authors of uh, The Learning Journeys, Ruth Williams. She is a speech and language therapist here at the Sandville General Hospital. Um, And I think Ruth has got some really interesting thoughts to share about leadership. So I've just arrived at Sandville and Dudley train station and it's freezing and wet. Hi Jack, how are you? I'm alright and you? Good, I'm going to yeah. hop in on the other side again, oh, yeah, get stuff. out of the rain. It was beautiful blue sky yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on our way to a meeting, what, what is this meeting all about? This meeting that we're going to is um, an invitation for all the senior therapists within the larger integrated care service. Um, Oh, it's a regular meeting that we have every four to six weeks. Um, we, we call it the rehab review meeting. So it's an opportunity for senior clinicians and the leadership team to look at what we're delivering in terms of rehab pathways, um, what service, what service developments we need to do, um, peer support, um, feedback from previous service development projects Um, and today because of where we are in the year we're also going to look at what we need to do moving forward in this year. So what's your role in the team? So I'm fundamentally the service manager Um, I've got a slightly different job title to that but my job um, my job what do I do helicopter view make sure it's all ticking over um, running as it should do um, meeting all of its targets um, and really what I enjoy doing is the support and the coaching and the influencing and the leadership to make sure that every single member of staff in the team is treating their patients the very best that they can um, and that we're 
constantly moving forward so if somebody's got an idea how do we hear that how do we mold it and shape it and translate it so that we can actually then um, keep providing the very best care that we can how was it that you became interested in speech and language therapy in the first place so my I knew that I wanted to work in the NHS when I was doing my um, O-levels and some of that came from my nan who was one of the first, she joined the NHS when it started as a orthotist but it wasn't called orthotism or they weren't called orthotists when she started so as a tiny, tiny child we used to go and visit my nan in the general hospital in Birmingham so and then my mum picked up a more admin role in the NHS so I knew that I wanted to work in the NHS rather bizarrely Um, and because of my mum's connections she helped me to shadow radiographers, um, physios, OT so lots of different professions and it's when I met a speech and language therapist that it just felt it came alive it felt right Um, we worked I was able to observe a speech therapist working in a head injury unit with somebody that had only got automatic speech and only really expletives and I I don't know why but there was something about that that really appealed about how she was fairly quickly able to get him using single words and communicating there was something really powerful in that so that's what led me off down that path Right, do we think anybody's... Well, should we make a start? I mean, and, um, else lost on the OK, there's floor. probably other people who are due, but um, they'll appear or not, as the case may be. So, thank you all for coming. So I think this is our second rehab re- pathway meeting of this year. Um, shall we find out what who on earth this man is who's now wearing headphones Um, (laughs) because this isn't a usual setup is it (laughs) so i stepped out of the meeting just to record some of my thoughts i've been in there for about an hour and a half or so um i think the first thing that one notices is that even though it's it's a it's a large multidisciplinary team there's uh, speech and language therapists, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, nurses, um, it wouldn't be immediately obvious to an outsider. You never hear anyone saying, oh, from an SLT point of view or from an OT point of view. Um, it's very much focused on problem solving. And the other thing is is that Ruth doesn't do most of the talking, um, which I, I think is interesting. Um, Ruth's role in this team is is not the problem solver, um, nor is she giving instructions. What she's doing is she is facilitating uh, problem solving. She's facilitating people coming up with, with, with creative solutions and, and new ideas. And this strikes me as going to the heart of, of what we talk about when we talk about uh, so-called non-heroic leadership models or post-heroic uh, leadership models. Um, it's exactly the type of thing that um, was mentioned in the Francis report. Um, this is not command and control leadership. 
Um, so it's, yeah, it's really interesting to watch. So the final part of the meeting is some CPD for the team. They're looking at how to manage conflict and looking at um, when conflict is actually good. And then after that, I think Ruth and I will go and grab a sandwich and a cup of tea and talk about leadership and what she was actually doing in this meeting. I guess the feedback is that for if, because some of the thinking behind this is we want to get to a point where we are. So I know that you know, there's been a lot of talk uh, in the NHS about leadership. Why is that? Leadership, I think, is so important. Um, we've got we've got managers, we've got training to be able to um, provide assurance via data analysis and data returns and. Um, filling in spreadsheets about how we're doing and are we achieving financial balance and so those are the very sort of task orientated jobs that are traditionally seen as what managers do um, but people who just hold that skill set I don't think are able to inspire um, their staff their teams the people they work with to um, take that leap of faith that's required to keep moving forward and to keep developing. So as um, our understanding of um, pathways and conditions change, as our understanding of our population changes, as we become perhaps more service user focused, then we need to be doing something different. We can't keep repeating the same treatment and service delivery that we that we delivered five years ago, ten years ago, when I qualified all those years ago. Um, so it requires leadership and the skills of leadership to keep us moving forward and that continuous improvement. Um, and it's scary. You, we're very used to doing things the way we do them. So there needs to be something around leadership and the skills to create a new vision, to get that buzz going, the excitement about the why, why should I change, why should I do something different, why should I change my hours, because actually my working pattern was set when I started 10 years ago, um, so you know, talk to me about why I need to come in later, why I need to work weekends, um, and that's not management, that's leadership, that's, that's somebody, not leading from the front all the time, but being able to set perhaps the culture, the tone, the pace, to, to be able to spot the opportunities and take everyone with them. We've used the phrase, you know, that leadership is for everyone, and we say that everywhere, but what would you say to a, uh, uh, someone who's just graduated and come into the profession? Is this the right time to be doing leadership training? I truly believe leadership is for everyone, whether you're qualified and registered with HCPC or you're a support worker, you're newly qualified and you've been in your job as long as I have, that leadership really is for everybody. And there'll be different levels of leadership. So you might be a new graduate, this might be your first job, but you're going to have some fantastic ideas and you're going to be able to, with your fresh pair of eyes and your training and your life experience so far, you're going to be able to spot changes which would make your life and your patient's life so much better. So there's something about how 
you embrace that role and that leadership and find your voice to be able to put forward your ideas and how you then use your leadership skill set and your influencing to be heard and to be able to influence the people around you that are formal decision makers. I also think there's something around leadership um, about what you permit you promote or the standard you walk past is the standard you allow. So if you're new in post, you're a new graduate, but you spot something that isn't right, are you going to let it go? Are you going to walk past it? Or are you going to use your influencing and your leadership skills to call it out and to make a change? Because if you walk past it, there's a very good chance it's going to get repeated over and over again. And if that's causing harm to the service or the patients, then something about thinking about your role as a leader in making that change for the better. We've, we've spoken, obviously, about leadership, but there's a whole other learning journey on influencing. What, what, what is influencing about? Why, why, why should someone do the influencing learning journey? The influencing learning journey um, is there as a set of tools to help people, I think, find their voice um, and be able to use their voice in the right way with the right people at the right time. So, and being able to understand yourself and understand the people around you so that you know what your message is, you know what the outcome is that you want to achieve, but you can't always choose the same style to get the outcome that you want. And having the tools to be able to um, be more nuanced about how you communicate and know whether it needs to be a formal presentation, is it more of a corridor conversation do you need data what about you the emotion that goes with patient stories um, so all of that in terms of a skill set um, should help you as a speech and language therapist and your patients um, develop pathways and get better outcomes and get a sense of job satisfaction and feel valued can you give us an example of when you've used either influencing skills or leadership skills or, or both to get something done? So if I think back to when I was a speech and language therapist, um, and only a speech and language therapist rather than a um, more of a manager leader um, than I, yeah, as I am now, um, I spotted by looking at our other professional colleagues that they were working in um, urgent care and admission avoidance and they were able to meet people's needs really quickly and I was working on wards at the time and there was a lady through the course of a year who had been admitted um, every eight weeks with a chest infection and it was really obvious that somehow she was in a cycle of swallowing problems in the community um, every time she was um, got chest infection, she was admitted, she didn't want to be in hospital, her GP didn't want to be in hospital, her consultant didn't want to be in hospital, but everything around this lady meant that we weren't able to respond quick enough to break that cycle. So had a bit of a mad idea, for want of a better word, um, worked with the physios and the OTs and the nurses who were already providing admission avoidance to learn from them what worked, what didn't work, how do you respond, what are your rotors like, um, found some patient speech therapy patient data because this is, is this just happening to one lady or is this happening to a whole cohort of people 
was able to identify that there were people from care homes predominantly who were in and out, in and out, in and out. And we weren't adding anything to their quality of life. Um, and a lot of these people were end of life and the whole philosophy of you should be able to die at home. A lot of these patients were dying in hospital because it was their last chest infection and they were in a hospital bed and not in their own bed with their family. So gathered all of this information, um, took it to my managers. I suppose understanding that my managers needed to understand how many admissions we could avoid because that's what was driving them got their support, but then equally took it out to the speech therapy team to say, how do we break this cycle? The speech therapy team possibly weren't that bothered about the money and the um, the system metrics, but actually really got the fact that this lady did not need to keep coming into hospital. So sort of bringing, being able to change the message to meet different people's needs. Um, and then we set up a working group and kept the momentum going through leadership and influencing. We were able to get enough data to influence the commissioners to give us some money. So we were able to have some more speech and language therapy time and hours to help us embed a different way of working. Um, and we've piloted and rolled out um, a six day a week admission avoidance speech therapy service, which is still going, so that's very pleasing. Oh, that's amazing. So using solely influencing leadership skills, you were you were able to create a new, a new service. Yes, and I suppose solely using leadership and influencing um, to get money. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and what sits underneath that is a whole load of teamwork, a whole load of support, um, energy, passion, tenacity. But those are all leadership skills and data and, um, but the leadership and the influencing. Um, came early on but then came all the way through particularly when it got hard or people were starting to doubt it um he's been able to keep going to get to that vision and try it out so uh, there's a huge amount of stuff in the nhs material about what they call post-heroic or non-heroic leadership models for someone who's never heard this term before what, what, what is that about um yeah what is it about good question so um i suppose there is, and there has been taught in the past, something about, and I think it might be something in us as people, particularly those that step into these roles, where um, your superhero cape becomes really, really strong and billowy and, um, and that sense that you've got to rescue everybody and save the world and without me it's not going to happen. Um, and actually none of this gets done. Well, in my world, none of it gets done without the relationships and without the teamwork. Um, and I think we've probably been, or I've been taught in the past, the whole idea about leading from the front, which does lend itself to being a slight superhero with arms aloft and, come on, follow me, and I'm going to take you all with me, which requires leadership and influencing. But there's more of a movement now about leading from the back um, and collaboration and bringing your whole self, so being vulnerable, being wrong, um, owning up when you're wrong, and actually trusting that the people around you have got the solutions. My job, I think, is to be an enabler and a sower of seeds and a coach and a puller of people, if that's what's required, but a pusher of people, if that's what's required, and being able to be flexible enough to meet 
your individual needs according to your personality type and your skill set. Um, and if I need to get my superhero cape out, then I will. Um, but I think that's where most NHS project, projects, like two-thirds of NHS projects, aren't sustained. And I'm, sh- I'm sure, and I don't have the evidence for this, but I'm sure it's something to do with once you remove the superhero, people then lapse back into what they were doing before. Right. I mean, but it's also, it's also, I suppose, I don't know if it's the superhero one. I mean, you tell me, but it's certainly kind of an authoritative style of leadership is, is associated with some, some failures of care, like the Mid-Staffordshire Trust incident and, and the Francis report and stuff. Um, I, I don't know, for, for someone who's completely new to, to the NHS or, or new to, to speech and language therapy, could you talk a little bit about that and how that's influenced the culture in the NHS? So author- the authoritative leadership style is a style and it is a technique um, and it's one that I would suggest is used really, really sparingly. But um, if you've got a crisis on so um, where I work there's a motorway that runs all the way through it and lots of heavy industry if a there's a sudden catastrophic pile up on the motorway or one of the factories blows up um, you're not going to have time to get everybody into a committee and decide what the plan is your authoritarian style then is completely appropriate as in I need you to do this now like this um, to get through a crisis but if we're going to support staff and coach them and change pathways and improve care um, we have to engage with people we have to have that relationship and talk to people on a human level you know given what you've you've said now and, and how you you know your role has, has changed in the NHS um, what do you wish you knew when you started your career so when I started my career um, I absolutely love being a speech and language therapist and I wish that I'd known how exciting and fulfilling leadership is and that I'd actually probably had more interest or training in leadership as well as the technical speech and language therapy side of it Um, because I resisted being a leader for a very, very long time. Um, And it's only looking back that I think it's probably a missed opportunity for me personally, Um, but also the fact that all of us can be leaders, so I think I've, you know, I wish I'd known how great being a leader is. So the other question I had for you is, I've just seen you come out of a meeting um, in which you were leading a team of uh, not very many speech and language therapists. There were physios and OTs and nurses. And um, how did you feel the first time you had to lead? I mean, it's one thing leading a team within your discipline. What's it like if you have to lead a multidisciplinary team? For me, the very, so the question was the first time, how did I feel, wasn't it? And because I resisted um, owning and the opportunity of being a leader of a multidisciplinary team, um, I really wasn't prepared for it emotionally, psychologically. I didn't feel particularly safe. And then from that position, um, my imposter syndrome kicked in. Um, so I can't say, I can't remember it, but I'm sure the people that were there who are still at work will say it was an absolute disaster. Um, I didn't own the role. Um, I didn't really feel a connection with anybody in the room. And I was completely seeping all my fears and anxieties and hatred for multidisciplinary team leadership all over them. Um, and they really wouldn't have got the best out of me. So 
that again that emotional intelligence and that self-awareness is really important I don't have to feel that I know it all but just being able to think all these people in this room in this room want to make a difference and all I have to do is steer them in the right direction and we'll get there so how did you overcome it after that first meeting did you did you go and eat like a tub of ice cream or something or go and cry in your pillow or watch 50 hours of friends or probably real ale helped as well because oh, right, I come from the black country booze, yeah, absolutely yeah. um some of it was um, fantastic leadership training, learning the tools around. So um, you can do um, self-assessment tools about your personality type. So actually understanding who I am, what makes me tick, who you are and what makes you tick and why are we different and how do, we, how do I then flex to meet your needs. Um, actually just um, reflection, one-to-one supervision, um, sort of reframing my thinking really about, you know, I'm in this role because somebody spotted something. I'm in this role and I've got a legal authority to do this. Um, and how do I manage that voice in my head and work with these people um, to make a difference? Because I, I overheard, sorry, I was, I was eavesdropping. When I say I overheard, I was pointing a microphone at you from across the room. But you said something about you prefer now to lead a multidisciplinary team to say just being with speech therapists. Why is that? For me, there's something in the diversity. So a lot of the evidence base that's coming out of innovation, conflict management, creativity, which are all the things we need to keep moving forward and make the NHS and healthcare and pathways and patients' lives better, are all around diversity. Diversity of thought, of cultures. Um, so actually having a mix of professions in the room and a mix of people from different cultures all helps that thinking and it feels so much more allowing people to feel safe and to bring their physio background and their speech therapy background and their nursing background and acknowledging that we're all different um, and that we're all safe and that we're all going to listen to each other but we've we've come up with some fantastic ideas and solutions together because we've got to be stronger together it does work <laughs>